changes everything. The coming of this child changes everything. I say that, and I hope you're hearing me say, and I use such verbiage, that that is not meant to be a sentimental notion to make you have some warm fuzzies this morning. into this world changes absolutely positively everything. The angels appearing there over the, the fields of, of Bethlehem in that first Christmas saying forth, declared forth a, a message of good news of great joy. Good, it's, it's almost like they, they couldn't quite, in, in words, couldn't quite capture what you hear all the repetition and redundancy in what they are saying. Of good news Great joy. Are we hearing that? Are we hearing that this Christmas? That news. How good and how great and deep it is. This little mini series, this Advent series that we are in the midst of here together, uh, talking about the, the extent of this shalom that the Prince of Peace has come to restore and all that that means and all its significance. And uh, we're going to start here at Colin Prime. I've got it. Last week, and we're now moving in with some of the details of that. Romans 8, the Bible with you, and ask you to turn with me now to Paul's letter that we know as the book of Romans. We're trying to find that in the Bible. It's in the New Testament after the Gospels, and then after the book of Acts, and then the first of the letters is Romans. And Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be looking for the next few minutes. Romans chapter 8. Verses 18 through 25. Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. Hear now God's word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first, first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as bodies, the redemption adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray together. Lord, indeed, the angels did declare good news of great joy. And we confess that we have reduced that down to something that fits on a Christmas card. Uh, we have reduced that down to something that is just for children. We have uh, shrunk it down to something that just applies for a few weeks of the year and then only to a limited degree. And uh, we ask that you would help us to begin to see anew, if not for the first time this morning, why it's described in that way. Good news of great joy. We need this. We need it more than we know, and we ask that you would be merciful to us and give us ears to hear. Amen. 
Let's be clear on something. The fall was an historical event with tragic consequences. I'll say that again. The, the fall, as we read of in Genesis 3, was an historical event that had tragic consequences. If you like imagery, I have a couple for you. Imagine a, a rock being dropped down into a pond, and then you have ripples going out from there. That's the fall and its effects going out. Or maybe a little bit more graphic, because it's a little truer. Ponds and rocks are too placid. You have an explosion ripping, tearing through the fabric of reality. That's the fall and its effects. And in this little Advent series that we are doing over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the Prince of Peace and how he, how he has come to address every one of those ripples, every one of those aspects of the tearing through the fabric, how he has come, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has come to make all things, all things new. Now the question before us this morning is how far does that go? You say he's come to make all things new. How far does that really go? How far are we daring to say that it really goes? What does the Bible say in terms of how far it goes? Well, let me, if I may, sum up what Paul is saying here in Romans 8. Okay? Paul is saying here, as in, in terms of creation, the cosmos, everything around us is in a fallen state, in a broken state. It is groaning, according to how he puts it here, groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Uh, it is paradise lost. It is waiting, longing, eagerly. For what? For the image bearers, for the likeness bearers, for man, for the rulers of creation, the rightful rulers of creation to be restored to their rightful place. That's what he tells us here in Romans 8. That's what all creation is longing eagerly in pains to see. Now why? Why this present state as it is because of a past curse? Again, we talked about that, that last week. Man's fall. A terrible fall. A tragic fall. And all creation, because all creation was bound up and tied to what man was going to do, fell with him. And so everything is shattered, broken, twisted, contorted. But a dim reflection of what it once was. A glorious ruin. That's what we live in. A glorious ruin. Now is that all there is to say about the story? No. Paul doesn't leave us there because God doesn't leave us there. He speaks of a glorious future that is coming. Of, of, a, of a transformation. Not, not um, a scrapping of this cosmos, but a renewal that is coming, a change that is coming, a consummation, not just a going back, a repetition to how it once was, but a maturing into what it was meant to be, a fuller flourishing. So again, I come back to that question, how far, so then, how far does this go? We say the Prince of Peace has come to make all things new. How far does this go? Well, Paul tells us, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has come to renew His whole creation. The whole thing. All of it. We need to hear this. Wrestle with it. Hear this good news and its implications. 
I have three implications for you this morning. I just want to spend a few minutes talking about. First is this. We need to embrace the physical. Explain what I mean by that. Don't go crazy on me. We're going to embrace the physical. Now, first, we need to back up and talk about um, the backdrop to what I want to say, and, and that is um, some heretical views of the basic problem of reality. Now, the heretical view, it's a long-standing one. It goes way back to at least the first, second century of the early church. It's still around. Some of you may know it's called Gnosticism. Uh, it really comes from Plato and some of his ideas as reality and the problem with the early church, not some aspects of the early church, not really grappling with the problems of Plato's views. Here's the idea. The, the problem that we face is that the physical, the material, is, is evil. In and of itself, it's flawed. In and of itself, the physical, the material world, this you, me, this physical stuff all around us, is, is inferior to all the spiritual stuff. That's the problem. Now, the solution, if that's the problem, the solution to that problem then is to avoid the material, avoid the physical, suppress it, ignore it, do away with it, escape. Now, I don't have the time to get into all of that and to say anything more about that, except I just want to shift to the biblical view. That's wrong. <laughs> okay? Creation is from God. The material and the physical was created by Him and declared by Him from the start as good. The problem is not at the beginning with the physical and the material. The problem is with the fall. Sin comes and warps and twists and contorts everything. The physical is not bad. The material is not bad in and of itself. God made it. Or if I can just, you know, let's talk about Christmas for a minute. The incarnation. What is the incarnation? God becoming man, taking on flesh. What does that tell you? The physical and the material can't be bad in and of itself. So again, I would say the Prince of Peace has come to renew his creation. We need to be willing to, then to as an implication of that, to embrace the physical. Let me press a little harder then. We are, we are complicated creatures. Body and soul. And the promise of the gospel is, one day, Jesus is coming back to completely transform and renew both. Not one, both. Body and spirit. Indeed, what Paul is telling us in the rest of the biblical testimony is that he is coming, not Paul, Jesus is coming, to make the entire cosmos, all creation, new. This same physical place we live in now is not going to be destroyed. It is going to be made new. Brand new. Read Genesis and Revelation. Read the first two books and the last two books of the Bible. Heaven, we're told, is going to come down. We are not going to spend eternity as ethereal ghosts floating around on clouds. The Bible, especially the prophets, speak of mountains and rivers and feasting and eating and drinking and animals, and it's a beautiful earthiness to it. Folks, get used to it. And I know this isn't the way it's oftentimes taught, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry you were misled. Read your Bible. There's a beautiful earthiness 
to eternity and what awaits us. And thank God for the foretaste we have of it now. Thank Him for it now. The Prince of Peace has come to renew the whole creation. Embrace the physical. That's point one. Point two, building right on it. Throw out the bucket list. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Let's back up here for a minute. First of all, this, this, not this room, everything, everything. This is not all that there is. This is not all that there is. There is the spiritual. We are, I've already alluded to this, we are embodied souls. We live in a world filled, you can't see it, but filled with angels and demons. There's a spiritual component to reality. There's the spiritual. It goes deep and it goes forever. There is eternity. There's heaven by grace and hell by justice. And it's one way or the other. Life does not end with the grave. It keeps going. This is not all that there is. There's more to reality than what you and I can see. And on top of that, this is not how things will forever be. Alluded to this already. This is not how things have were. How the things are now are not how they forever have been. God made all things of nothing by the word of His power and declared it all good. And praise God, things are not forever going to be this way. There's a change coming. You know all those re-words in the Bible? R-E? Reconciliation, redemption, regeneration, restoration, resurrection. There's a change coming. The best of this life is but a glimmer of a shadow of a foretaste. The best is yet to come. The Prince of Peace has come to renew His creation. Throw out the bucket list. What does the bucket list assume? That there's, you only get one shot. That you only go around once in this life. That you've only got one opportunity to what? You fill in the blank. To visit New Zealand. You've only got one opportunity to see New England in the fall. I, I don't know. You've only got one chance to learn that special skill or experience that wonderful thing. I mean, the thought behind the bucket list is, if I don't realize my dream in this life, I never will. Check the dream, folks. It's a lie. The Christian does not go around once. The Christian goes around twice. Once for a little bitty time. And then a second forever. Forever in a world made brand new. Why do we live according to a bucket list? That's crazy. It's unnecessary. Do you understand? It's a waste. It's so unneeded. And I have to say this. It tends to be selfish. What is the bucket list about? You, me. The Prince of Peace has come to renew his whole creation. We have no need 
for such foolishness. Let's throw out the bucket list. Last thing. Let's embrace the physical. Let's throw out that bucket list and let's hang on to the end. And this is really the immediate thing, the most obvious implication that Paul is getting at here in Romans 8. I recognize the rest is sort of you know, between the lines, but this is right in our face. Hang on to the end. Look at what he says in verse 18. He mentions the topic of suffering in verse 17, that paragraph just preceding this. And then building on that, bridging from that, he says in verse 18, and it's really what this whole text after that is ultimately about. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, recognize, he's, Paul is not saying, Paul's not saying that our suffering is small. That's not his point at all. The Bible is very candid. The Bible is very realistic. Paul is very honest in his own autobiographical, autobiographical sections there that you have in the, in the Scriptures and in Luke and the book of Acts about the pain and the struggle that he himself endured. So he is not saying in any way that our suffering is small. He is simply trying to, to state and get before us that the glory that awaits is so great. It is so great. And this is not the only place he says things like this. Keep your thumb in Romans 8 and go with me two books over to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer shell self is waiting, wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. What is Paul saying here? He's, he's speaking here of our light momentary afflictions that are completely offset ultimately by an eternal weight of glory. Think of it this way. Your pain is like a boulder. Right? Boulders are big. Say, the rock of Gibraltar. Right? But the glory that awaits, the weight of what awaits, is like a planet, like Jupiter, a thousand times. I looked it up, a thousand times the size of Earth. So great, its gravitational force changes the path of asteroids and comets and anything else that comes into its orbit, gravitational pull. So you understand, I'm, we're not, Paul's not saying that your pain, your boulder, the rock of Gibraltar is small. But in comparison to Jupiter, to the weight, the glory that awaits, Oh, my friends, hang on. Hang on. You have a counterweight for hope. And it's not just a wish. There's a guarantee that Paul speaks of here as well. Twofold I want to speak to here. A guarantee for this weighty hope. And the first thing is the present work of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of what's coming. 
Paul alludes to this in verses 22 and 23 in Romans 8. Listen to what he says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. And of course, childbirth is not just, you know, I stub my toe and that's painful. That's pain where something good is coming at the end of it, right? It's a little, little I know about, anyway. Um, so, verse, again, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And what Paul is getting at here is that the Holy Spirit's work now is evidence of his future work to come. The progressive change that the Holy Spirit is working slowly but surely in our hearts and the hearts and lives of believers now is a guarantee of a climactic, full, and final work to come. Now, Creation has a stake in this. Creation is waiting for that to happen with God's people. And if that is sure to happen, then so too is the renewal, redemption of the whole creation. The fact that we see the present work, the Holy Spirit doing things now, is a guarantee of what He is going to do later in us, and the whole cosmos is the point. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. And by, by one other thing, as we're singing the carols and reading the texts this time of year that have to do with the nativity and Jesus' coming and reflecting on those past events, not just the present work of the Spirit, but what's already happened. What does that tell us? What do you read of? You know what we read of? We read of wounds being opened in miraculous ways, of miraculous conceptions of stars being moved. All of that pointing towards the healing of the whole thing. The healing and renewal of, of everything. The Prince of Peace has come to renew his creation. Let's hang, hang on. Hang on. If we have but ears to hear, there's encouragement to be found in passages like this, or because of a renewal that's coming. We have hints of it and a guarantee of it with the assurance that what is coming far outweighs that which burdens and grieves and pains and troubles us now. Because the Prince of Peace is coming. Hang on. Images. I know we need them. Let me give you two more and we're going to wrap this up. Creation, right now, is like a coiled spring, compressed down tight, straining to be released. And one day, it will be. One day, all the stops going to be pulled out. Now, some of you may know what that expression comes from. It comes from pipe organs, where if you want to, if you want to have its full volume and all the tones accessible to the organ, you pull out all the stops. Colin and I went to a, a seminary in St. Louis, Covenant Seminary, and there was a gorgeous old organ in there built back in 1866, and it was actually in a Jewish temple in Ohio, believe it or not until it was moved uh, to St. Louis and put there in the chapel of the seminary. And I remember 
You could tell when somebody sitting at that organ knew what they were doing as they were sitting at that organ. And if they really wanted to play it, you had the sense the walls might start shaking. You had the sense that the air in your lungs might start, I don't know, moving. All the stops. One day, all the stops are going to be pulled out. We've never seen that. None of, none of us in this room. In fact, really, it was only Adam and Eve. No one since. No mortal human being has ever seen all the stops pulled out for creation. Where heaven and the skies above, the earth and all the seas beneath, all the creatures and everything beyond our imagining and fathoming, everything promised, everything predicted, everything prophesied. Read the prophets. It's coming. It's coming. Christmas is a message of, of good news, of great joy. Are you hearing it? Is it encouraging you? May it. May it for all of us. Let's pray. Lord, this is indeed a message of good news, of great joy. Never has it ever been intended to be a private religious experience. Christmas. But a message of the kingdom coming. The restoration of your rule over everything. Far as the curse is found. And pray that you would help us not to shrink it down to manageable sizes in our imagination and ideas. But rather would you cause it to grow in our hearts. And move us forward, we pray, emboldened and encouraged deeply to do good works. In your name we pray. Amen.